This is Climate Positive, a show featuring candid conversations with the leaders, innovators, and changemakers driving our climate positive future. I'm Chad Reed. I'm Hillary Langer. And I'm Gil Jenkins. And the way certificate systems still work today is based on a system of annual matching of supply and demand. So simply by buying enough certificates, you can claim to be 100% renewable. So it's not reflective of the reality of the grid these days, and it's not sending an accurate price signal that values renewables when it's most needed. As more and more leading companies, governments, and other large buyers of electricity pledge to procure 100% carbon-free energy, markets are in need of better, more granular information on the time, location, and emissionality of every megawatt hour that is produced and consumed. To this end, EnergyTag, an independent, nonprofit, industry-led initiative, is developing the standards and markets for granular certificates, or GCs, that enable energy consumers to verify the source of their electricity and carbon emissions in real time. So in this episode, I sit down with Toby Ferenzi and Killian Daly, the founder and general manager, respectively, of EnergyTag. They discuss the cruel irony at the center of deploying more and more renewable energy on local grids. The nuances differentiating 24-7 carbon-free electricity claims from emissionality considerations, and how granular certificates can both drive the next generation of carbon accounting, or carbon accounting 2.0, as well as accelerate the growth of new markets such as green hydrogen and battery storage. Climate Positive is produced by Hannon Armstrong, a leading investor in climate solutions for over 30 years. To learn more about our Climate Positive journey, please visit hannonarmstrong.com. Toby and Killian, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Toby, you've spent your entire career co-founding and leading firms and, and nonprofit organizations focused exclusively on the clean energy transition. Can you walk us through your career path and what led you to co-found Energy Tag? Yeah, I've been in renewable energy and startups for quite some time. Uh, I remember I studied physics as an undergrad, which is when I first learned about climate change. And I thought, geez, that sounds like it's going to be a problem. So then I chose to do a PhD in solar energy. That was at Imperial College. Spent three years in the lab making solar cells. First exposed me to the renewables industry. And then I realized I wanted to kind of get out of the lab and go into industry. So I took a job with General Electric. Uh, That was actually in Germany. Of 2008, 2010, which was ground zero for the renewables industry at the time. 80% of the world's solar panels were installed in Germany. So it was a kind of fascinating place. And then I had the opportunity to do a startup, actually, a friend from Cambridge who had been working at Bain and Company. We both had an idea to do a solar business. And the first company we did was kind of financing and installing rooftop solar projects. So kind of like a solar city business model, but for the UK. But it was in the days when this was still kind of innovative. It was kind of 2010, we got started. Um, and the company grew really quickly. And then we sold it in 2013 to a Chinese solar panel manufacturer. And then I got interested in grid balancing. Having seen the falling cost of solar energy, I realized, okay, the challenge is going to be how do we get the grid to run completely on carbon-free energy? So then I did another startup called Recharge, which was a demand response play of optimizing EVs and batteries. That got acquired by a, a UK utility called Ovo Energy, the third largest energy supplier in the UK. And they sell a lot of green energy. 
And so I spent five years there. I led international expansion. And I was thinking about both this question of how do we balance the grid, but also how do you choose one type of electricity over another? And that's what took me on a deep dive into the energy certificate systems and led to the idea for energy tags. And uh, I'm sure we'll discuss that in a bit more detail. Great. Killian, same question. Yeah. So since I was 18, I've been involved in energy in one form or another. Uh, it was a passion right, right from school. I did energy engineering in, in university in Ireland and then went to Cambridge. I did a master's there in energy technologies and just got a broad spectrum of the absolutely fascinating space that energy is. After university, I went to France and I led the energy strategy at one of the largest electricity buyers in the world called Air Liquide, which is basically an industrial gas company, one of the largest producers of hydrogen in the world. So I learned on the ground in a company where buying energy is a make or break thing, the importance of this, yeah, the importance of this for the global economy, how fundamental it is into everything we do how we move, how we heat our homes, how we produce our goods. I was really exposed to that within Air Liquide. And also, of course, to the problems it causes, yeah, to the problems linked to how we uh, source energy, uh, how we claim that we source energy, how we account for carbon of the energy that we source. I kind of, you know, was confronted with these fundamental issues in Air Liquide. And, and I kind of started to think, how can I be part of something that can change this and make this more meaningful, more impactful, particularly through the lens of hydrogen. So I was working a lot in Air Liquide on the next generation of electricity sourcing to make sure that we're delivering clean electricity to hydrogen electrolyzers every hour on the same grid. That's going to be law in Europe. And so we were working a lot on how do we do that? And as Toby mentioned earlier, you know, how do we fill in those gaps on the grid when there's not much sun or wind? And for me, that's one of the most fascinating questions of our time, to be honest, as an engineer. I want to be working in that space. So, yeah, got put in touch with Toby a couple of years back. I got introduced to Energy Tag, found it, you know, just an absolutely fascinating community. Great, great people working on this topic, basically about providing the right market incentives to build out more storage, you know, to incorporate more flexibility, more clean technologies uh, to deliver 24-7 clean energy. And that's a year ago when I decided to go at it full time. And I'm absolutely loving it as, you know, general manager here at Energy Tag. Excellent. Well, let's dive a little deeper into the problem that Energy Tag is built to solve. Toby, Killian, can you tell us a little bit more about your specific focus and mission? Sure. The idea behind Energy Tag is this recognition that energy attribute certificates which are known as RECs in the US or guarantees of origin in Europe, play a really essential role in the energy system today because the way they work is by digitally certifying each unit of energy as it comes onto the grid. Consumers can make a reliable attributional claim by purchasing these certificates about where their electricity came from. And there's some important protection mechanisms in there to prevent double counting, and other types of issues that make it a reliable accounting system. And that's why these certificates underpin the greenhouse gas protocol, scope to carbon accounting, and they're used to support any green offers that you see on the market. And they exist now in pretty much every developed energy market. But these systems have been around for 20 years now. And the challenge that they're running into is that because we now have a lot of renewables on the grid, 
the real-world availability of renewables fluctuates quite dramatically throughout the day. Sometimes we have way too much clean energy, and other times hardly any at all. And the way certificate systems still work today is based on a system of annual matching of supply and demand. So simply by buying enough certificates to meet your total consumption of in one year, you can claim to be 100% renewable. So it's not reflective of the reality of the grid these days, and it's not sending an accurate price signal that values renewables when it's most needed. And so the missing ingredient is to take the existing certificate system and add a timestamp. The current certificates tell you where the electricity came from, but not when it was produced. But if you add a timestamp to the certificates, then you can use them to say where your energy came from in a specific hour of the day. And this drives a lot of benefits that hopefully we can come back to. But what's first needed, because we're trying to create kind of market-wide change and adoption. So how do you go from a well-established certificate system, which is regulated in many parts of the world, to this new time-stamped certificate system or granular certificate? What you need, first of all, is market consensus. And so the mission right. of Energy Tag is to define and build a market for granular energy certificates. So that means creating a standard. The main thing that Energy Tag does is a non-profit industry-led initiative that has become the internationally recognized standards body, providing a mechanism for registries to issue timestamp certificates in a way that is compliant with existing certificate systems around right. the world. Yeah, that's very helpful. I think it's important and even more helpful to give a specific example so that folks can really tangibly understand this. So if I'm a company and I really would like to get all of my energy from renewable resources, I can make that commitment, whether that's a 24-7 commitment or another commitment publicly. And then I have to go out and, and find either power purchase agreements in the places where I have facilities or offices and or procure these RECs, which are energy attribute certificates. Um, in the US, we call them RECs. But the problem is, I'm going to say, hey, I consume, for the purpose of this example, 100 megawatt hours in a given year. So I have to go out and, and buy 100 megawatt hours on an annual basis, either through PPAs or RECs. But by doing it on an average annual basis like that, uh, I'm not actually offsetting the same amount of emissions through my purchases as I am through my consumption in most cases. So if I am this business that's made this commitment and I'm in Indiana, for example, and I'm consuming electricity because my business runs from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., but I'm buying these recs because maybe in Indiana they don't have recs available to purchase or they're just very expensive. So I'm going to buy these recs in another market, maybe Texas. I can buy cheap and plentiful recs in Texas. But those recs are really being produced from a wind farm that usually produces electricity at night. So while I'm saying that I'm zero carbon on paper because I purchased 100 megawatt hours of recs to offset my 100 megawatt hours of consumption, the reality is very different because the grid emissionality, uh, and we'll talk about that term in a minute, but in Indiana is very different than in Texas, especially during those times and days. And this actually results in this inaccurate up to 35% difference in the emissions factors of consumption versus offsets or, or RECs 
in a lot of cases, as uh, one and other studies have found. So I just thought it was important that we dive into a specific example so folks can, can understand that a little bit more in detail. One thing you all have said is it's a cruel idea that the more successful we are at deploying renewable energy, the harder it gets to integrate that energy into the grid. Can you explain why that is the case? It's basically the problem of grid integration of renewables. So in the world before renewables, electricity was generally produced from fossil fuel generators, the coal and gas power stations. And the way they typically operate is as the demand for electricity fluctuates, power stations would ramp up and down in terms of the power output in order to meet that fluctuating demand. It's a bit like putting your foot on the gas pedal of a car in the same way with a gas turbine, you can ramp up and down to meet the fluctuations. And as you start to add renewables, then typically these fossil fuel generators, these thermal generators have stepped in when renewables, wind or solar have not been available with that same mechanism. And so that's actually something that's very easy to do when you have a small amount of renewables. But if you want to actually get to ultra high penetrations of renewables, say, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent, and then eventually to 100, you'll have fewer and fewer of these gas turbines, these fossil fuel generators on the system. And the fluctuations that you might see in terms of production on the grid will vary. And so it's the first 30% of renewables on the grid is going to be much easier than that last 30%. And just to bring it back to real examples, some of the more active countries we see in energy tag, it's places like Denmark, it's places like Germany, it's places like the Netherlands, where they already have high penetrations of renewables and they're hitting these issues. In certain hours, there's too much renewables, they have to curtail. And in certain times, uh, when there's no wind or sun, they have massive issues because they basically have to call on gas turbines. They have to call on fossil generators to fill in those gaps. And in Europe, that is aggravating a massive energy crisis at the moment because of a reduction of natural gas supply due to the war in Ukraine. So it's a really, you know, it's a political topic. It's extremely important we deal with it. And, you know, it's fundamental that clean energy markets work to fix that problem, to fill those gaps and to integrate renewables during those hours when the sun is not shining, when the wind's not blowing, we need batteries, we need clean firm technologies. Energy markets can't deliver them today. And we're trying to change that, right? We're trying to make sure that when consumers go out there and want to have the most impact, that actually it's leading to batteries being built on the ground. You know? And that's, that's what this is all about, you know? So explain to us then what, you know, you're creating standards for these granular certificates. Explain to us specifically kind of what they are, what these certificates are telling buyers of power, of energy, and how they help solve this problem that you've eloquently detailed. Basically, a granular certificate, it's a piece of information on a, on a database that records the amount of energy that has been produced in a certain time and gives, obviously, the time of that production and the location of that production and the source of that production. Okay, So it could be um, one megawatt hour of wind energy was produced in Maryland between one and two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, That is the information, basically, that a granular certificate will give. It could also be um, released from storage at this time. And with that information, then there's the level of transparency needed by consumers to go 
basically contract for that energy. And as Toby mentioned earlier, um, perhaps in California in the middle of the day, that solar granular certificate between 12 and 1, it's, it's not going to be that valuable. There's going to be lots of them. Whereas perhaps in the middle of the night, that clean energy granular certificate released from a battery is going to be super valuable and it's going to create a business case for more batteries to be built. And that's ultimately this you know, time-based value signal that we're looking to create and send to markets. Excellent. And so are there buyers actually interested in this today? Yes. Companies like Google and Microsoft have set targets by 2030 to be 100% clean energy on an hourly basis. So they're some of the world's largest companies, sustainability leaders, and you know they're obviously going to put a lot of resources and expertise into making sure that happens. So you know they're already actively out there thinking about how do we contract this, what technologies do we need, how do we get certification systems in place. Their 2030 goals, of course, we're in 2022, so it's a process. You don't change energy markets overnight. And similarly, from governments, we've seen great signals. The U.S. federal government is committed to buying half its energy on an hourly basis, uh, clean energy, of course, by 2030. That's another massive signal. They're the biggest energy buyer in the U.S. The United Nations Energy is putting together a 24-7 compact with over, I think now over 70 signatories, some of the world's largest producers and consumers already, you know, in that committing to moving towards sourcing clean energy on an hourly basis. An example I mentioned earlier, which is absolutely massive, is, is the renewable hydrogen in Europe. The European Union wants to produce 20 million tonnes of hydrogen, green hydrogen by 2030. That would be almost a thousand terawatt hours of electricity. That's like 25% of all the EU's current electricity would have to be 24-7 matched to hydrogen production. Again, to do all of this properly, you need granular certificates. So demand is being built in already, and I'm sure it will only grow over time. So how do we actually make this happen? I mean, you are, are developing the standards how do you ensure those standards are adopted by the various national and subnational market makers that need to adopt them? What is your theory of change and how you roll this pretty big reform to Rex into the marketplace? I think one of the ideas behind setting up this uh, voluntary standard is that Whilst waiting for regulatory change, and we do think that over the next few years, maybe five years, maybe a bit less, a bit more, all the existing established certificate systems will move from an annual base system to a higher temporal granularity, a one hour or less base matching system. But whilst that happens, there's nothing to prevent a voluntary market emerging from industry for participants that want to move faster. But you need to have kind of industry-wide consensus. And that's actually kind of interesting because it's how the RET markets first got started. It came from industry before any legislation took over. And it's actually kind of similar to how most environmental products develop. They, they start out as voluntary and then they turn into compliance markets. But it's actually very hard for regulators to start regulating something before it, it exists and they can show that there's demand. And so actually... Rather than just spend time, which we are doing, we do engage with policymakers by actually doing it and showing, hey, look, this is how the system works. It's robust. There's demand for it. It's actually a way to accelerate the change of the old system to the new system. 
absolutely echo that. It's about making it happen and keeping in touch, you know, making sure that regulatory bodies, whether that be in the European Union or the United States or elsewhere in the world, are aware of what we're doing, basically, and are aware of the benefits of change. And that also goes for standards bodies. So, for example, the World Resources Institute that sets the uh, global standard for global carbon accounting of, of scope two emissions related to electricity. You know, obviously, we're in touch with all of these stakeholders to let them know today's systems have been very, very useful in driving renewable energy capacity, but they won't get us the whole way. They won't get us to the future we need, which is, a, you know, clean energy grids every hour, everywhere. And we're working on trying to update the attribute systems. So ultimately, governments can, you know, maybe regulate new green products like the European Union is doing, or so that standards bodies can go to the next generation of carbon accounting that's hourly and, you know, of course, is more difficult, but ultimately will get us to a better place. Yeah, and you've actually built a pretty large coalition of dozens of corporate buyers, system operators, academics, investors, market makers, etc. It's been impressive to see how you how quickly you've built this coalition and, and developed these standards. What is the timeline for, for implementation here? What is a realistic timeline for getting granular certificates printed in, let's say, the US and the EU? First of all, just on the coalition point, we think this is a it's just fundamental. You know, you need we're trying to change a system, so you need an ecosystem to change it. You can't just focus on consumers or producers. So yeah, we have, you know, the, of course the support of the likes of Google and Microsoft, some major producers like AES, uh, and Vattenfall in Europe, NG, Iberdrola, you know, it's really important to have these folks on board. And then, of course, to make sure that you're interacting with the right policymakers and standards bodies that I've mentioned already. So we're interacting with kind of most of the, the major ones there. In terms of timelines, obviously, we've already started in a sense. So there's already proof that these concepts work technically. There's a number of pilots done around the world by some of the world's biggest registries. You know, the likes of Emirates in the US have cancelled their early certificates. IREC have done so, which is the biggest registry outside of the EU and the United States. And there's a lot going on in Europe, as I mentioned, in Denmark and Norway and Sweden. Already they have successful pilots and are now building out scaled granular certificate systems. In the European Union, just to be concrete, currently we're updating the Renewable Energy Directive here, which is like the federal law for renewable energy markets and renewable energy itself. So already the European Parliament is supporting granular certificates in their position. That's a huge signal. They see it as essential basically for better consumer transparency and more impactful energy markets. Let's see what happens. Obviously, that needs to go through a further process before it gets adopted, but it's a great start. And the system operators here in Europe have come out unanimously in support of granular certificates as essential to making clean energy markets and consumer choice better serve their clean energy integration needs. That's another massive signal as well. So I think we're off to a great start. Obviously, it will take time before these things are adopted and fully scaled in law over the coming years. But certainly, uh, you know, as Toby mentioned, in four or five years, we expect, you know, this to be kind of uh, our hope, at least, to this to be the new normal. You've talked a lot about how these GCs, these granular certificates would include temporal and geographic granularity, much of which is missing in the current energy attribute systems that are across the world today. What about emissionality. So one, can you define what we mean by emissionality to many of our listeners? And two, what role does emissionality have in the granular certificate process? Basically, there's two ways of looking at it, right? So some consumers, there's like 24-7 carbon-free electricity, 
which basically means I go out and find every hour. I, I find attributes to make sure that I'm kind of always injecting the same amount of energy into the grid as I'm taking from it. If you'd like to think about it that way, the grid is constantly needing to be balanced. And then there's another approach where folks look to source attributes at grid locations and times where the marginal emissions, so the marginal unit on that grid, is highest, basically. So they're looking to to displace the marginal plant. So it's, it's like two different approaches. One is more, a, let's say, a standard, what we would call, without getting too jargony, attributional accounting uh, approach. So typically what people use in scope two carbon accounting. Uh, another one is more uh, an offsetting approach where you would go out and kind of cancel out the emissions you're having with your own actual inventory or actual consumption by buying an offset. So that's, I hope, sufficiently explained difference between what are quite, you know, technical concepts. Uh, obviously, you know, in Energy Tag, we've been clear that we're there in terms of setting up robust energy tracking systems that can facilitate multiple use cases. So, yeah, we don't really want to pick size, let's say, uh, because certain buyers want to do emissionality, others prefer 24-7 CFE, where they're just to make sure the tracking is, is there and robust. And I think what the great thing is about both these movements, it's, it's folks who are thinking about the next generation and the next steps who've maybe done 100% annual and now like, how do I optimize my impact? And I think that answer does vary. It depends what type of company you are. It depends where your plants are. So you mentioned a couple of the newish markets that could benefit from the adoption of granular certificates, energy storage, hydrogen. Could you talk a little bit about those and how specifically they would benefit if you know, every megawatt hour was tagged with the time, location, and potentially the missionality associated with it? For me, this is one of the key benefits of moving to granular certificates. The idea behind having a timestamp on the certificate is that gradually you will see formation of a market price, a reference price for these certificates throughout the day. Perhaps a bit similar to how you see a price in wholesale power markets, an intraday price curve. And this price curve should value renewable energy based on or clean energy based on its real-world availability. Essentially, what you want is for renewables to be cheap when they're in oversupply and more expensive when they're in undersupply. And that's that's not how renewable energy is priced today with the current REC systems based on annual matching. They're priced the same regardless of time of day, so regardless of supply and demand. So it's not an efficient price signal to the market. When you have this intraday price for these certificates, if you read the energy tag, standards really recommend having a quick look through it, you can download it at energytag.org. You'll see that there's a whole section dedicated to storage and there's a mechanism in there by which batteries or other types of flexibility can actually purchase these certificates. An example with the battery, you can charge the battery with renewable energy by purchasing these time-based certificates. And then by discharging the battery, you essentially reissue a new certificate with a new timestamp. And there's a record that shows that originally the battery did charge with renewable energy. So you're still issuing a clean energy certificate, but it's come from a battery. And when we speak to buyers, what they really care about is that they're using zero carbon electricity. So it doesn't really matter that the energy has been stored in a battery, as long as you can show that it originally came from a zero carbon source. And the way the battery benefits is 
it can capture the spread between the low price towers and the high price towers. It's an arbitrage opportunity and it's an additional revenue stream. And when you're operating a battery, what you're doing is you're trying to co-optimize against the different available revenue streams. Right? You might be making trades in the wholesale power markets. You might be delivering some ancillary services to a grid operator. And you're trying to stack different revenue streams. And this is just simply another revenue stream to add to the stack. But the more we can increase the return on investment for battery and storage projects, the faster we can build them out. We're on a race against time to kind of build out all of the infrastructure, not just more renewables, all of the infrastructure that we're going to need to get to a carbon-free grid. And one point about that often comes up is additionality. We hear buyers wanting additionality. And by that, that they you know, have typically meant more renewables, but actually the new way of thinking about additionality is not just more renewables, right? If you really care about carbon, the best solution might not be just to keep adding more solar in a region that has lots of solar. You might be better off to add a battery system in a certain location that can store unused solar to a time and deliver it at a time when it's most needed. So it's a way to essentially harness that consumer demand for clean energy to send the right price signals for the right technologies that are needed. And Killian, do you want to talk a bit about hydrogen? Yeah, sure. It's one of my favorite topics. Before I start even, I think the comments I'm going to make apply to anything that's electrointensive. So any new product that we're going to have or a service that we're going to have that's going to consume a lot of electricity, we need to apply granular certificate thinking to it. Green hydrogen, it's only clean if the electricity is clean. Okay, like that's something I'm kind of I'm sick of it almost saying it. Green hydrogen, it could actually be much, much worse than grey hydrogen, and much worse than today, if the electricity is not clean. It's actually twice as bad if we use natural gas to produce electricity and then put it into electrolyzer. It's twice as bad as today. It's twice as bad as doing nothing. And hydrogen is already a highly emitting industry. So the one and almost only question about producing green hydrogen and clean hydrogen and building out the hydrogen sector in general is making sure it's clean. Otherwise, it's going to bring us backwards and it's not going to bring us forwards. So hydrogen can be an amazing solution for chemicals, for long-term energy storage, for lots of different applications, as long as it's clean. And the way to make sure it is clean is using granular certificates to make sure that on the hour of production in that electrolyzer, you're finding clean energy on the same grid that's being fed into that electrolyzer. And granular certificates are the way that you actually prove that. It's so fundamental because if we forget about this and turn on the electrolyzer all day long, we're going to have to build more gas turbines, maybe more coal power plants to meet all this new demand. And we're going to go backwards. It's really, really important that we always remember clean hydrogen. It's only clean if it's clean electricity. Those are great examples in two markets that are definitely growing and needed for the clean energy transition that we're all working toward. What about the next generation of carbon accounting? Uh, right now in the U.S., we are debating, the SEC is debating whether to specifically require scope one, two, and in many cases, scope three emissions reporting from public companies as part of a larger climate risk disclosure requirement. In other countries, this is already happening. How would GCs potentially change or enable the next generation of carbon accounting to make it even more useful 
to both the companies that are reporting and the investors who are interested in determining the climate risk associated with companies' operations and in-time investments. Taking a step back again, you know, having done a lot of carbon accounts in my life, you know, clearly, I think it's another example of something that was extremely important and useful over the last 15, 20 years and getting companies to actually start to think about what are my impacts, what are my emissions, but now is basically out of date and needs to be evolved into a next generation. Because again, annually being 100% renewable or having zero carbon emissions associated with your electricity, being zero, it's not really truly being zero in the sense that we need it. So I think, you know, being truly zero should be when you've really actually contracted loads of storage or clean firm or really thought about how am I decarbonizing the grid every hour of the day. And that should be the reward for getting to zero. And it, it should be hard to do because this is like literally one of the biggest problems we have in the world about decarbonizing the grids every hour. Uh, and so we need to evolve carbon accounting standards, make them more temporally and potentially geographically granular, let's say hourly carbon accounting. I think a lot of the same structures and ideas can remain the same, but they need to be happening really on an hourly level. Folks would be thinking, what's my impact this hour for every hour of the year? And probably that's a, at least an initial statement of how things can move forward. I know there's going to be a lot of debate about this over the coming years. It's already started. And maybe just to add to that more concretely, our understanding is that the greenhouse gas protocol, which is what kind of sets out the, the main or the most used methodologies for doing scope one, two, and three carbon accounting, looks likely to be reopened, or at least scope two will be reopened. And this is one of the topics that will be up for discussion. Killian appeared on a panel hosted by the World Resources Institute a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a great something you can check out the videos online. They did a great job, but it it just shows that you know there is recognition that we need to look at this. And just to say that if scope two was amended and granular certificates were to be included, then that would have a significant impact on all of the carbon accounting that organizations do in regard to the carbon emissions associated with their electricity consumption. You know, it'd be a pretty big change. And so, yeah, I think this should be on the radar of all organizations that currently, you know, measure their scope two emissions. Reforming the scope two emission accounting as prescribed by the Greenhouse Gas Protocol is, is something I know our company and, and many others have thoughts on and, and hope to contribute to in the coming months and years. Well, uh, we're almost done, but I want to hit on a couple hot seat questions for you both. So give me your quick immediate thoughts to some of the following statements. One thing I've changed my mind on is hydrogen. We need it, but not as much as I first thought. I've kind of flip-flopped on my thoughts about nuclear, I guess, but it's a hot potato. But I really think we need an all-of-the-above strategy when it comes to carbon-free energy. Yeah, agreed there. The person I've learned the most from is... My dad, in a word. Yeah, he's been a, <laughs> been a mentor. He's an entrepreneur. He's taught me a lot. So, yeah. Definitely my dad on that one. Uh, I think I have to say Phil Moody. Phil is the, <laughs> the chairman of Energy Tag. He's also the godfather of energy <clears throat> certificates around the world. He's kind of one of the people that created the energy certificate schemes as we know them. He served as Secretary General of the, the AID for 20 years. The AID runs 
oversees the certificate teams in Europe. And um, he is a great guy. He's a legend <laughs> in the certificate world. Yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah. Excellent. The most insightful book or article I've read recently is a book called Factfulness, which really is life changing. It will change how you see the world and, you know, realize actually, despite all the problems, we're still actually making progress when you look at things over a long trend. So many. If you haven't read it, Capital, it's quite eye opening and it makes you realize how we're on this journey towards increasing inequality and how it's something that we're going to need to tackle. And finally, to me, climate positive means. For me, it's spending your daylight hours working on climate action, actually doing something about, you know, making the situation less negative and more positive. Yeah, yeah there's vastly more renewable energy available to humanity than we could ever want. And it's by far the cheapest form of energy generation of it. This is a solvable problem. It's just about how quickly we go. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining me today. This has been a really great conversation. We're excited to work with you all on, on developing these GCs and the marketplace going forward. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having us, Chad. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify, which really helps us reach more listeners. You can also let us know what you thought via Twitter at ClimatePosiPod or email us at ClimatePositive at HannahArmstrong.com. I'm Chad Reed, and this is Climate Positive.